0: James' letter, Faith That Works, Bible Study 5, podcast number 5. We'll just read the section together from the Word of God. James chapter 2, and we'll read from verse number 14. What does a profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith? but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things that are needful for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by his works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. We'll just pray. Father, help us as we look into thy holy word to be blessed by it each one. We think of this section that is so misunderstood and misrepresented. And we would pray, our Father, that as we look at it together, uh, just for a few minutes, we pray that, that it would give us clarity as to how it harmonizes with paul's wonderful truths uh, of justification by faith alone and our father we would pray that it might help us to uh, go forward in our lives and, and exemplify and and show forth something of the greatness of what we have received in salvation we commend ourselves to thee and pray thy blessing upon us just now in the lord's name amen Hello, it's Andrew here again. and uh, This is podcast, as I say, number five. So we're looking at the latter half of James, chapter five. Um, apologies for any noises in, in the outside world, as you might you might hear from t- time to time. So we, we've been really, we entitled James, James, Faith That Works. And that really is, is like a kind of cover for this very central section that we're dealing with now. What we have found out, if we, you know, examine the, the first two chapters again very briefly, is that James is moving Christians away from a superficial response to circumstances to uh, a serious response, from from superficial Christian response to serious Christian response. Um, i put that in an appendix. Um, in chapter one, he deals with trials, the problems of life when they come our way. How do we react to them? Do we not see the purpose in trials? Are we short-sighted? Do we lack the wisdom to understand what the trials about? Do we pray in a doubting way? Those kind of things. That would be the superficial Christian response. He's trying to move them from that to um, to see God and the purpose of their trials. Uh, to see to see to pray in a in a in a believing way. Um, to trust the Lord more to bring that wisdom into our lives that comes from above and so on so so you can immediately see he's contrasting superficial Christian response with serious Christian response then we move into the next section it's not so much trials uh, as the first half of chapter 1 but then the word of God how do we respond to the word again there's a superficial way that you can look into the the perfect law and then you can walk away unchanged or else there's a serious that not only hears the word, but realises that we must um, act on it and live our lives differently when we read the word of God. So again, you can see that movement from superficial to serious. We dealt with partiality um, last Bible study uh, before this one. And again, we saw that he was moving them away from a kind of superficial uh, and judgmental response to people, uh, moving them away from that uh, that idea of respect of persons and partiality and favoritism um, to uh, a more scriptural and honoring position of showing mercy that 's how he finishes verse eleven or verse thirteen of chapter two. so having done all that now he is going to look at the underlying point, and the underlying point is that we can have a professed faith i.e. just a faith that we speak about, or we can have a practical faith. We can either have a, a faith that is alone that he's going to speak about, a kind of intellectual assessment of things that need not even be saving faith. We might not never have accepted Christ. We might just have uh, accepted maybe a creed about him or truths about him uh, that just has affected our intellect. Maybe has touched our emotions. We'll see that as we go down. But What he's trying to move us away from is that rather than what we might term a saving faith or a living faith. So he's going to contrast dead faith and living faith in this section. Uh, And it's really important we see that that is the main contrast. The main contrast is not so much between faith and works, although that is a contrast because he's going to speak about a a dead faith and how it contrasts with uh, works of faith but rather there's a contrast in this passage between a dead faith and a living faith. That's the main contrast, and works are in with the living faith as we have it here. So I don't know, that's just very general. It might help us as we look at this passage together. We're going to see, as I've written in very large letters on the front of the handout, which is obviously found in Dropbox as well, works are an evidence of salvation, not an entry to salvation now that's really important um lots of people put the cart before the horse here um, catholics and catholics and and non-evangelical christians though when i say that i mean those who profess to hold on to some form of christianity but but don't believe in the gospels we know it what what they would do is they would say well we think that you have to kind of hold your end up with some works. And, and maybe your works along with Christ's sacrifice, topping it up, is enough to see you into heaven. Now that's directly against what Paul speaks about in, in Romans chapter 3. If you turn to Romans 3, and you read with me for a moment, in Romans 3 and, and verse number um 19. Romans 3 and 19. And uh, Now we know that whatsoever things the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. In other words, when you take the law, uh, if you like the, the law of Moses, you try to work by it, every mouth is stopped. All the world is guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of law, by works of law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge or the full knowledge of, of sin, so the purpose of the law given by Moses at Sinai, uh, given to Moses at Sinai, is to bring to light the sin that's in the human heart. It's a mirror. it is not something to cleanse yourself with uh, in that sense, uh, although we could develop this in different ways, but but in the mean, when we're speaking about the law, uh, what's being spoken about is the moral code, the moral standard of God. And when we apply it to our lives and we try to reach those standards, it only shows up our feelings and our sins. So, so works of law or law keeping never justified anybody. He'll go down further here and he'll say that we're justified um, with regard to the or through the blood of Christ. Um, and then you come down to verse number twenty-eight. We conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of law. So so adding anything in, trying to reach standards herself is never sufficient for salvation. So the law terrifies, it doesn't justify, nor does it sanctify. That's the rest of Romans chapter 6 to 8. In other words, we don't take the law now as Christians and just apply the the precepts of the law through effort to our lives to, in order to become more holy. No, it doesn't work like that. We are now united with the risen Christ. We have, we have died to the law as, as a kind of, as, as a kind of uh, uh, something that was united to us. Uh, we were, in that sense, married to uh, as the people of God. God has broken that link and he has united us to a living Christ that we want to serve and honour. And you say in chapter 8 that that Christ has given us the law of the Spirit, which is life in Christ Jesus, into our lives. And because of that, chapter 8 and verse 4, I think it is, the righteous requirement is of the law is fulfilled in us. How? Because we walk, walk after the law? No, not a bit of it. Because uh, we we don't walk after the flesh, we walk after the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit... Changes our desires, and as long as we work in conjunction, in tandem with, if you like, the Holy Spirit, our lives will become more holy. So the law, it terrifies, it doesn't justify, and it certainly doesn't sanctify. That's the message of Roman Romans in relation to the law. Now you'll notice when when in saying that in chapter four, um, Paul is very explicit. He, he he mentions Abraham and Abraham's belief. He references Genesis 15. We'll see that in a minute. Um, but then he comes down and he says, to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So again, he's underlining this point that The person who is saved initially, they set aside any thought of working for that salvation, of good works in that sense. So when it comes to James and it speaks about works with faith, um, that's that's the order. In other words, we trust the Lord, we exercise faith alone to be justified in the sight of God, to be legally justified. But we're going to see that now... Because faith can't be seen in any other way. The window into our life of faith is the lives that we lead. So our works, our faith works, not our law works, our faith works, the things that spring out of the fact that we now know God and love him and care about his things, they all spring out of our faith and they they are an evidence that point us towards the fact that we truly have a faith that works. We have a faith that not only saves us, we'll see in a minute, and a faith that is profitable, uh, but a faith that is living and is 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 vibrant and radiant because we have been indwelled by the Spirit of God. So I'm just saying that in a very general way. So coming back to this, works are an evidence of salvation, not an entry to salvation. If you get it the other way around, it's the cart before the horse, rather than the horse before the cart. So coming down to this section, justified by faith only or by works also. You'll notice my rule of thumb at at the bottom of page number one, Um. Uh it as Marianne pointed out, this is a quotation and somewhat somewhat anyway by calvin uh John Calvin, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves us is not alone, something like that. The faith that saves us is not alone. That's really important to understand now you'll notice as as we look down chapter number um two from verse number 14 together, James 2, um, 14, right down to the end of the passage, that he is contrasting this professed faith with a practical faith. Or, if you want to put it another way, he's contrasting a dead faith with a living faith. You'll notice verse 14 to verse number 17, we're going to term that a dead faith. Then we'll we'll look into that in more detail. He'll say uh, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, verse 17. Then if we move down further, verse 18 to 20, he, he'll speak about a demonic faith, a demonic faith. Um, he'll say that even the demons believe and tremble. So they believe something about God as well. So just because they believe... It doesn't mean they're saved you'll see what he's saying uh, as we go down so there's a demonic faith uh, emphasized and really that comes still under the main section of, of a dead faith verse 14 to verse 20 if you're going to be really pedantic about it but then from verse 21 to 26 he deals with not so much a dead faith and a demonic faith he deals with a dynamic faith verse 21 to 26 you'll see what he says he gives the example of abraham verse number 21 to 24 and then the example of Rahab um, it is interesting that he takes these two examples as we'll see, um, especially as he starts the chapter with the whole issue of partiality and making a distinction between people, so he finishes the chapter with two very different examples both interestingly in his own family tree, you remember this is James the half-brother of the Lord And so in his family tree would be uh, Rahab, the harlot, and going far enough back, Abraham. They both came in the lineage of the Christ. So we'll look at those examples when we get there. Uh, Marianne pointed that out helpfully again. So she's got two two marks to her name today uh, in my uh, podcast. Okay, let's let's get back to um, verse number 14 and we'll go down it in a little bit more detail together. Right, what does it profit my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? So the first thing we have is a question about faith. Is it, in fact two questions, is it any profit? Does it do you any good in that sense? Is it any profit? And can it save? Now we know faith saves. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And your house. We we know that um, clearly. Ephesians two brings it out, doesn't it? That um, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's by faith we're saved through faith. Okay, so so it is very clear in scripture that faith does save. But if we look a little bit more closely, we drill down a little bit more into this verse. It helps us immensely, right? Underline two words. One of them's clear in the text, and one is not. What does it profit, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works can the faith or that faith save him that kind of faith the kind of faith that is that is disconnected from works cannot save him that's the point he's going to make here he's going to say really that kind of faith doesn't save anyone i mean it's a very simple thing um uh, as we illustrated um somebody rushes into the room you're in you might it might be somebody you know and says the house is in fire you might say i believe you but if you don't act on it they will not really think that that is a genuine um vital faith because you're basically believing them in a kind of superficial way but you're not believing them enough to deal with the situation at hand so uh, just keeping that in mind, this maybe helpful for us to understand what is being said here. But remember that little verse really reads better, can that faith save him or can the faith that I'm speaking about save him, that kind of faith. Now, as he says this, he gives this question, he then develops it into an illustration, verse 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you say to him, Them depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do not give them the things which are needful for the body. What does it profit? He's saying, listen, you notice the contrast, the main contrast here, words and no action. Um, They say be warmed and filled, but they don't do anything about it. Okay? Now, this is an example of where they might have plenty of theoretical faith But it has absolutely no practical help or bearing on others. So he says, how does a prophet? So he's not only dealing with a prophet for for himself, the person, his salvation, but the the blessing of others around you. There's no prophet in this kind of faith at all. See this, just stop with this for a minute. So a brother or sister is naked, so they have not got clothing on their back. They might have a rag, who knows, and the word allows for that flexibility. They are destitute of daily food. The thought is not just they're destitute of food uh, ongoing. It's a thought they don't even have food for this day. And one of you says to him, depart in peace, be warm and filled. Be warm, be clothed in that sense, be nice and warm and filled food and so on. So in other words, you've recognised the problem and you're giving almost like a pious prayer, uh, a prayer request if you let, or, 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 for them. You, you're happy to pray for them in that sense. Now, the Lord Jesus uses this exact expression, I think if I remember he, my memory serves me correctly, depart in peace. But he always sorts the problem out before he said this, depart in peace. Now, this is a situation where they're not doing that. You can see what the contrast is. He says in verse number 7, he gives a pronouncement about this. He says, therefore, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is the pronouncement. Faith, this kind of faith. He's the doctor. He's pronouncing the victim dead, as it were. Um, Have we crime scene? Um, Picture in the notes. Um, Here we have. The, the, the person is pronounced dead on the scene the, the faith here is pronounced dead on the scene now he's not saying that the faith doesn't exist there's a sense in which it does they do believe something but this faith is not a living faith it's a dead faith you know you don't go to a dead person to actually get any practical use out of them and James is a very practical man it's just something that goes along in their head maybe an intellectual faith we might say this is the kind of faith that often people can have if they, they are simply following maybe a, a creed or um, even myself. Before I was saved, Um, I was in a family where we believed things. I believed there was a God. I believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe he died. I believe he rose again. It, it had no impact on me whatsoever. It was all in my head. You know, there wasn't a... It, it wasn't a faith whereby I had trusted my all on Christ for um, salvation and that that had radically now changed my life. You notice the difference in that. So thus faith by itself, if it does not have works, he says, there's no pulse, dead. Verse 18 and 19 then, a demonic faith. You notice the straight talking debater then. Somebody comes up to you and you, you, you're holding on to this um, faith, this idea that, oh well, I've got a faith that it, it doesn't have to express itself in, in many actions. I, I'm justified by faith alone, for instance. you know I, I just believed and that's you know, I'm not like the way I was when I was a, a Jew where I was trying to follow the law, so on. but someone will say, "You have faith and I have works." The man comes along and says, "I have works. You have faith, I have works." And then he says something more, uh, continue the quotation marks, it helps. The quotation marks aren't in the Greek and so therefore we, we, we can kind of select where we think this quotation ends. Show me your faith without your works, he says. In other words, he's pointing to you and he's saying, you're, there you are, you're saying you have faith, uh, show me it without your works. In other words, that's an impossible thing to do. You cannot show faith without works and I will show you my faith. By my works, in other words, the window into my my faith is works. It shows people that I genuinely believe something. David says, on one occasion in the Psalms, it's quoted in Romans. I think it is in chapter four, another great faith chapter uh, that really should be read in parallel to this. Um, he says in Romans chapter four, um, I believe, and therefore. I have I spoken? I believe, therefore have I spoken. In other words, the evidence of his belief was in the fact that he witnessed to others about what he believed. And that's a quotation from the psalmist. Okay, so so here we have it. Um, someone says, you have faith, I have works. You show me your faith without your works and you can't do it. I will show you my faith by my works. You can see what he's saying. It's the evidence of my faith. You believe there's one God? The the, the, the the debater goes on and he makes a startling comparison. Now he says, you believe there's one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. <laughs> you see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, you've got this theoretical mind faith. Well, so do the demons and it's not doing them any good. They're heading they've never bowed the knee in submission to God or to Christ they're heading for eternal perdition and yet they believe there's one god this was kind of the the shema that what the jews always quoted you know the lord our god the lord is one um something like that um it was quoted in the morning and the evening. It made it distinguished them from the idolaters around them. Um, and it was also quoted maybe on your deathbed. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And just holding on to the monotheistic faith of the Jews was they felt sufficient to, you know, make sure they were in heaven. And there was a danger that they would carry this across into their Christianity. Oh yeah, we, we believe about Jesus. We believe about one God. Yeah, we, we're fine. Um, just remember, so do the, the demons and it doesn't say, to save them. In fact, interestingly, the heart of man is a complex thing, but it can be analysed in this way. And the th- first three references, I believe, to the heart in the Old Testament tells us this. The heart is seen as the seat, the, the centre of your affections, your emotions, I should say the centre of your, your mind, your intellect, your emotions and your will. So there's three things. Your, your mind or intellect, your emotions, and your will. That's what makes up the centre, as it were, the heart of a person. Intellect, emotions, and will. What he's saying here is that you can have an intellectual faith. You can believe in one God. You know, that's a true thing. It's a good thing. You can even have a, a, a an emotional faith in the sense that the demons not only believe it, but emotionally are troubled by it. They they um, they tremble, or it raises the hair on them. Although that's a funny thing to say about spirits, but that's the the idea behind it. They tremble. They they are are worried. Um, they believe in tremble, so it affects them intellectually and emotionally, but it doesn't affect them volitionally. It doesn't affect their will. And so here we're going to see the contrast as we come down between the the um. what we have as Christians in true faith, which involves the volitional will of the person, the the will that says, I'm bowing my knee to God, to Christ, I'm trusting the Lord, I'm obeying the gospel all those are will based the battle is on the will between a faith that is merely intellectual or emotional and a faith that is a living faith so it's good to remember that now that I think is emphasized in the next verse but do you want to know oh empty man oh foolish man do you want to know that faith without works is dead or useless that's the other uh, alternative you look at ESV is useless so You'll see what he's saying. He's saying he's challenging them now. He's using a sobering question, is how I've termed it in the notes. This faith, do you really want to know? Is your will in finding this out? Because that's the bridge into a living, the difference between a living faith and a dead faith. It's it's whether your will is involved in in, in the whole thing. So we have a dead faith, a demonic faith. Finally, we have a dynamic faith, a dynamic faith. We have the example of Abraham. Now this really should be uh, read in parallel with Abraham um, in in Romans chapter four. There it says very clearly that uh, it, Abraham was justified by faith. In fact, it quotes the same passage, Abraham believed God and it was put as account for righteousness. So this is not something that's disputed. It was through Abraham's belief that it was accounted unto him for righteousness. But then he says something else here. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see the faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? Now there's a number of things that, that are coming out here. James is speaking about justification by works. Now we know that Paul has said we're not justified by works. So, so what is the... Contrast here. What what is the distinction? What what is really being said in the two places? Because obviously it's not a, a a direct contradiction if we believe the scriptures at all, and it isn't when we start to dig into it. Anyway, so he speaks about firstly Genesis twenty two. If you go to the very front of the handout, you will notice um, Genesis uh, chapter twenty two. And um, it's it's a little um, there's a little box there. Um, you'll notice one thing about that box and I'm not so I'm not that impressed by how it's been written underneath but uh, I can get what he's saying um, Genesis 15 is when it says that the Lord um, that Abraham believed in the Lord and it was put to his account for righteousness, he was justified in other words that happened in Genesis 15 now that was years before Genesis 22 what we're going to read off here In fact, between Genesis 15 and Genesis 22 is is a trajectory in the life of faith of Abraham, okay? Um, And what we're actually finding out here is that Abraham was justified by faith long before, as we have here, he is justified by works. So the faith preceded the works. That's simple, isn't it? There's more to it than that. There's another thing that this word justified, it means to declare righteous. Now, now Paul, when he's using it on unbelievers. he's saying, what he's saying is that, that if we're wanting to be declared righteous in the sight of God with our sins dealt with um, because of the blood of Christ, uh, what we have to do is trust. Uh, we have to exercise faith in the Lord. That is the only way to be justified. By faith. So that's the way being declared righteous. That's what we might term, well, that's what we like to term forensically or legally. That's in the courtroom. In the courtroom before God, that person is declared righteous. Now, in chapter 3, verse 4, God is justified. Now, God was never guilty. Look at Romans 3 and 4. God was never guilty. What David is saying is that when he honors God and, and legitimizes what God has done and he believes what God says, whatever, he, in that sense, is is declaring God righteous in what he does. He is showing God to be righteous or vindicating God in his righteousness. So, so justification can have this thought of, of declaring righteous or the thought of showing to be righteous or vindicating a person in a in a certain way now that is helpful to understand because we come to this passage what is it saying was not Abraham our father justified by works vindicated shown to be righteous by works when he offered up Isaac his son and the altar? do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works his faith was made perfect notice how he's linking together works and faith now this is what i like to term faith works rather than law works the reason why i'm saying that here is abraham he's going to slay his son now no law works ever told you to slay your son in fact it is an immoral thing to do to go out and slay your son unless it is ordered directly by the lord and you're depending on a god that perhaps well you cannot see. I, so it comes out of faith this works. It doesn't come out of keeping some kind of standard. Again, when we come to down to Rahab, there's nothing in the Bible to ta- tell you to portray your your city to the enemy. In fact, that seems like a bad thing. It's not a good work as it were. As people we talk about, oh yes, um, well Abraham did good works, therefore he's justified. No, it's not a good work uh, to betray your city to the enemy unless that enemy happens to be the Lord and you're, you're throwing in your lot in repentance with him, you're trusting in him, you're exercising faith and therefore that's why you're doing what you're doing. Unless it is a faith works, it is not a good work. So you can see that these works that vindicate the two people and show them to be righteous... In that sense, um, show them to be uh, righteous is um, is not necessarily a, a good work in sight of people. So so this is maybe helpful to just keep in mind as we're going down this passage. Just to broaden that out just for a second. So the scripture said, verse 23, uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Then so then we see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only now he's thinking of the faith only the not the faith of the faith only that we have in mind here is a faith that um is a living faith it, it is a real faith just like it was in Romans as well but but then the faith only is sorry i'm'm i'm mis misunder miss speaking about that um the faith only is the faith apart from works that is at the start of this passage it is the dead faith that he says that we're not justified by in that sense we're justified by works we're we're vindicated we show the reality of our faith by the works that we do the life that we live now i hope i haven't confused at any but uh, that's more or less where we stand um Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? So, in her welcoming of the messengers, she is evidencing the faith that she has in the God of Israel. Now, we see that from the passage. She says, You know, we heard about you, we knew you were coming, and she had obviously decided to throw in her lot with the Lord and to trust the Lord, and so the Lord overrules. And this is an evidence of her faith. She sent them out the window, by the way. That's the other way in the case. Now, so as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So what he's saying is that there's an interrelation between the life that we live, the works that we do, if you like, and the faith that we have. It's a faith that works. It's a belief that behaves, as someone else has termed it. It is... The fact that we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves us is not alone. Now, that's really important that we understand um, for our everyday life uh, and and so that we don't just profess something and if there's no evidence to be seen in life, no evidence of change in the life, it doesn't matter if we've signed a card, said a prayer, had a glorious experience, whatever it is, um, ultimately... The faith that saves is not alone. It comes with a characteristic, with evidences that the person's life is different now because they have trusted the Lord. So may the Lord bless this this section to you. Thank you for listening to this rather long podcast.